So like Pastor Chris Flynn said, we are in uh, the third week of, of a four-week series, The Way. And this morning, I want to focus on The Way of the Towel. And uh, this sounds like an interesting title, but we're going to get right into it. Our scripture comes from John chapter 13, verses 1 to 17. Uh, this is a popular portion of scripture that many of you might have read before, uh, but I, I think it's very important for us to meditate on this morning. Would you stand in honor of the reading of God's word? I know you just grabbed a seat, but you know we're going to read together. The scripture is going to be on the screen. And if you're new to WPA, we have a tradition of reading this, the scripture together in one voice aloud. So why don't you join me, verses 1 to 17 of John chapter 13. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash your feet, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gospel of John chapter 13. We thank you for the apostle John and his experiences as a disciple that was close to Jesus. And Father, today you want to teach us from your word as to what it means to be a servant in your house, to follow your example that you are calling us to emulate. Father, today I pray for humility upon our hearts, Lord, that we would humble ourselves from lofty places and that we would serve our brothers and sisters, that we would serve in this church, that we would serve our family and our friends, that we'd serve outside the walls of this church, God. Because to serve is to follow the footsteps of Jesus. 
And Father, we wanna be like you. If there's one thing that we can develop in our lives right now that's missing in this world, it is Christ-likeness. To even wash the feet and serve the people who we might consider our enemies or those who are against us. Lord, we realize that two of the men in that room would later betray you, and yet you still wash their feet out of your great love. Give us your love, give us your eyes, and give us a servant heart. We pray. Jesus, I need your help in order to preach your word with clarity and with boldness. Enable me and strengthen me by your power for this task. And we pray that you'd add your blessing to the word as it's preached. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. You may be seated. John 13 is perhaps one of the most powerful scenes in the gospel of John. It's amazing. It is important to remember that the Apostle John, he retold this entire experience as an eyewitness who personally had his feet washed by Jesus. And there is a verse that I think is really important for us to deal with before we start to explore this portion of scripture. And that verse is is looking at verse one. Take a look at that scripture with me today. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. Everything that we're going to read about is an expression of God's great love in Jesus. John, the beloved disciple, he had a way of communicating the relational nature of Jesus. Jesus, he had half-brothers who we later find out are James and Jude. But his relationship with his disciples was very different from his blood relations. His brothers did not give everything up that they had to follow Jesus like the twelve did. In fact, the Apostle John, he's the one who tells us in John chapter 7, verse 5, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. They were not fully convinced until after his death and his resurrection. So this act of foot washing, it's special. It was Jesus' way of demonstrating his deep love for his disciples. And for some odd reason, there is something repulsive about this biblical tradition. For many of us, we have stopped practicing this at churches at large. But it's a special thing that we can do. It's an act of service that we can do to someone. First, it seems to be very awkward. Awkward not only for the one washing the other person's foot, but awkward for the person receiving the foot washing. Second, Let's be honest, feet are dirty and smelly. And even though it's meant to fix the problem and clean the foot, it is still dirty and stinky. And third, let's be honest, humility is no longer esteemed as virtuous in our culture. Not many people are humble these days, not many. So we need to learn today from Jesus's humility. And though it was not celebrated in their culture nor our culture, humility is the signature trait of a person who belongs to the kingdom of God. If you're humble, that is proof that you belong to the kingdom of God. This morning, I wanna share three lessons from Jesus's foot washing service to his 12 disciples that should humble us in our hearts and cause us to take up the way of the towel based on John 13, 1 to 17. First point this morning is the hour to serve. There is the hour to serve, and we find this in verses one to three. Scripture says it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that 
The hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. And the evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and he was returning to God. See, three times the Apostle John, he tells us that Jesus knew. Jesus knew. Jesus knew. Well, what exactly did he know? He knew the time and he knew that the hour had come. This last supper would serve as a transitory moment between his earthly ministry of preaching and teaching to now focusing on the passion, his way to the cross, the journey to the cross. And part of Jesus' awareness of time was the reality of the brevity of his own earthly life. Jesus only lived 33 years old. Jesus had only been ministering for three years of his life. And to people, this was just the beginning of a bright future as a rabbinical teacher. But Jesus' mission was not simply to be a teacher not just a spiritual leader, but to be the perfect sacrifice, to be the sinless savior for all of humanity. The meaning of the hour is better explained in verse three. He knew that he had all power and all authority. He knew that. He knew that he had come from God. And then he also knew that he had to return to God. In other words, his knowledge was about the times that the Father had already preordained about his mission to earth. Jesus, therefore, was totally surrendered to the will of the Father. He said, Lord, not my time, but your timing. Not my will, but yours be done. Another aspect of Jesus' knowing the hour was his ability to know the whereabouts and anticipate the movements of the devil. I know we don't like to talk about the devil in church. We like to talk about the victory that we have in Jesus. And that's true. We have that victory. And Satan is defeated. In fact, he's crushed under our feet. That's true. But Satan is not just sitting still and sitting quiet. He's lurking. He's influencing. He's lying. He's twisting and manipulating. That's what he does. And we even see it in this scripture portion. Satan is not bored. He is at work. Verse two reminds us that just like the devil in the form of a serpent was at work in the garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, the devil was in the room during the last supper meal at work in the life of Judas Iscariot. We'll look at Judas a little later in a few moments. Let me ask you something. What would be the last thing that you would do if you knew your time on earth was coming to an end? What would you do? Perhaps you would have a bucket list of things that you'd like to accomplish. Maybe you want to get your things in order for your family or for your friends. See, Jesus, what did he do knowing his time was coming to an end? Jesus, who deserved to be served, he chose to serve. What will you do at this time of your life? What will you do at this critical hour of your life? You see, once this hour passes, this moment that we're sharing together, you won't get it back. You are one hour closer to the end of your life. I'm not trying to be morbid here. I'm trying to be realistic here and honest about what we're entrusted with. 
It's not just one hour of, of service a year, one hour a month, or one hour a day. It's not just volunteering, friends. It is serving every day of our lives and serving with the outlook every hour of our lives because Jesus has called us to serve. Whom will you serve today? Second point this morning is the people to serve. We find this in verses four to five. So he, Jesus, got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. See, there were 12 disciples present and there were 24 feet to be washed, but there were only two people whom Jesus addressed in a very direct and special way. It is interesting that the apostle John, he did not focus on his own personal experience of getting his feet washed, saying, hey, here's what I experienced. Jesus came up to me. He grabbed my feet. This is what I felt in my heart. He didn't share any of that to us. Instead, he recalled conversations between Jesus and Simon Peter and a prophetic action between Jesus and Judas Iscariot. Let's look at Jesus, servant, uh, Jesus as he served Simon Peter in verses six to nine. The scripture says, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you gonna wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part of me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And we find that little bit of comic relief in scripture for a moment. See, this whole experience is about social status. For Simon Peter, it was unthinkable for Jesus to stoop not only to the level of one of his own disciples, but even past it to the level of a slave or a servant. Jesus was upsetting the conventional social norms of Jewish culture. He deserved the seat of prominence. He deserved to have his feet washed first. But here he is, washing stinky and smelly and dirty feet. You can just imagine the shameful conviction in the hearts of all the disciples as Jesus made his way from person to person, from feet to feet. And the triviality of this event could only be vocalized by one man's voice, Simon Peter, their elder spokesperson, the oldest one among them. See, Jesus gave us an insight about how people interpret humble service, the way of the towel. Simon Peter would not immediately understand, but only later would he realize and understand and comprehend the meaning of that moment in his life. You see, it's hard for people to fully comprehend such a radical demonstration of the love of Jesus. The people whom we serve will not always immediately understand or appreciate our service, but eventually they will see that we are modeling our lives after none other than Jesus Christ. In Simon Peter, we see that all or nothing ideology. From no, you shall never wash my feet to not my feet, but my hands and my head as well. He bounced from one extreme to another extreme. What a personality. Maybe some of us can identify with them. But Jesus wanted Simon Peter to know that foot washing was not only a sign of cleanliness, 
but a sign of identification with Jesus. It means that you belong to him. And if Jesus didn't wash his feet, then Simon Peter could have no part with him or in him. Further misunderstanding Jesus' intention, Simon Peter, he foolishly asked Jesus for a bath when Jesus had already deemed him clean. Well, let's look at Judas. Jesus served Judas Iscariot in verses 10 to 11. The scripture says, Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And Peter, you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. I think we're all wondering, at least this question was in my head as I read this scripture, what's up with Judas? What is happening in this moment of Judas's life? Was Judas demon-possessed or was Judas demon-oppressed? I think we'd all like to know. It's a really intriguing question. causes you to really think. I would advocate to you today that Judas was an anomaly, that he's not meant to be a study by which we determine how how Satan engages with people, what demonic oppression and possession is. See, as Pentecostals, we have traditionally taught that believers cannot be possessed, but can only be oppressed. And I view the case of Judas as one of those unique circumstances specifically related to the passion of Jesus, specifically fulfilling scripture. It has a specific task and purpose. What happened to Judas is not the norm, it's not. But you see, any of us in this room today, any of us online, we can come under the influence of Satan without being deemed demon-possessed or oppressed. Luke 22, verse three, tells us that Judas's actions were premeditated. That's really important to catch. He thought about this process. This just didn't happen. He premeditated every step of the process before supper time in particular. The scripture says, then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the 12. And you can see in the time frame of the chapter that it is before supper. John 13, 27 tells us that this possession of sorts took place during supper as well. As soon as Judas broke the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, what you are about to do, do it quickly. See, Jesus knew, Jesus sensed, Jesus understood the spiritual realities of what was happening around him. He knew that things had to come to pass so that he would be led to the cross. From a cleanliness standpoint, there was no need for Peter to have a full bath. Just his feet simply needed to be washed. However, there was one person among the 12 whose heart was not clean. And Jesus wanted Judas Iscariot to know that foot washing was not only a sign of identification with Jesus, it was a sign of cleanliness. Judas needed to be cleaned. Even though his feet would have been washed by Jesus, his heart was unclean because he became a host, a residence for demonic activity. Furthermore, Judas Iscariot's uncleanliness was sourced in the fact that money was his God. Jesus was not his God. God in heaven was not God. Money was his God. 
See, the apostle John is very careful to detail that Judas Iscariot was the treasurer of the disciples' finances. In John 12, 5 to 6, the anointing of Jesus' feet with perfume, we read of Judas Iscariot's objection to all of this. And what does the scripture say? Judas' own words, quoted, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Sounds like really noble stuff, right? But look, look at verse six. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to whatever was put in it. Some of us have forgotten that that's in the Bible. See, we must think of Judas when we ponder what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24. You cannot serve both God and money. So here we have it. Jesus served all 12 of his disciples. And here's the thing, not without partiality. He was impartial in the way he treated them. We do not have that foreknowledge that Jesus had. I wish we had foreknowledge. I wish we could predict how things would happen, but we don't have the foreknowledge that Jesus had in regards to Peter and Judas. Just imagine how much more difficult it was for Jesus to serve them in that moment, to wash the feet of those he knew would betray him. It's tough. Nevertheless, here is Jesus who taught us to serve the very people who deny us and betray us. We all have a lesson to learn from Jesus. Third point this morning is the instruction to serve. Verses 12 to 17, the instruction to serve. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, here's the instruction. You also should wash one another's feet. I have set before you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Not only did Jesus know when to serve or whom to serve, he instructed his disciples how to serve. Jesus' first concern was whether they understood what he had done for them. Can you comprehend the magnitude of this illustration, guys? Can you understand what I'm trying to convey to you today? Remember that Jesus had said to Simon Peter that he would not realize now but would only realize later. I think the reality is that none of them fully understood why Jesus did what he did. And this is why Jesus provided further explanation. You see, I think some of us, we read the scripture and we think of these disciples as people who walk with Jesus, ate with Jesus, were taught by Jesus. And guess what? They still don't get it. I wish it was simple. I wish we could look at them and say, see, they got it. We can get it too but we can walk with Jesus, we can have proximity to Jesus, and we can still miss it. We know that this is the case because in verse 17, Jesus said, now that you know these things, he had given them understanding, he had interpreted the act with words. They needed Jesus to interpret the meaning of his great act of service. 
He had not only prepared them to enter his home with hospitality or to partake of a meal together. He set before them an example of servanthood. I'm going to do this and you watch me do this and then you do it for other people. So we remember Jesus' words in Mark 10, 45 that reinforced this object lesson. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, the washing of the feet was only part one of Jesus' two-part service. What was the other part of Jesus' service? The culmination of his service would be his crucifixion, where he becomes the ransom for many. Jesus then, he strategically made a comparison between teachers and students, something that they could relate to in relationship to him. He highlighted the fact that the disciples referred to Jesus not only as teacher, rabbi, but also as their Lord. Now, if the teacher could wash the student's feet, surely the students could wash another person's feet. Even more, if the Lord would wash the disciples' feet, surely the disciples could wash another person's feet. In this one act, here is Jesus breaking down the hierarchy of status that excuses us from doing what he has called us to do. Friends, what has Jesus called you to do? To wash one another's feet. No servant is greater than their master. No messenger is greater than their sender. That means nobody is exempt from this. If the highest person on the list has done this, all of us else on the list, all of us have to be able to do this. If you consider yourself a true disciple of Jesus, you need to allow him to change your perspective on this matter. He only expects us to replicate that which he himself has done. He doesn't ask you to do things he never did. That's what I love about Jesus. He asks you to do things that he has done. The apostle Paul is another link in that daisy chain of discipleship events. And he said something similar to Jesus when he asked the believers throughout Asia Minor to follow his example. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, the Apostle Paul, he famously said this, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Well, was it because Paul was so awesome that he's so worthy of emulation, a better example than Jesus? No, absolutely not. We know that that's not the case. It was because the more removed people become from that historical Jesus who lived during a particular time and in a particular place, the more we need living imitations of the original Jesus. The more examples we need in this world. So the question is, who are you imitating and are others imitating the Christ in you? Are you worthy of imitation? And so as we conclude and the worship team comes and prepares to lead us in one final song as we close our service, Jesus guaranteed that those who serve, those who take up that towel and wash the feet of other people, they will be blessed. How many people want to be blessed this morning? Not many hands. Okay, we'll move on. <laughs> okay, right. I think we all want to be blessed. And that requires us to take the towel in our hand and the basin of water to serve people and wash their feet. But you see, what is the blessing? Let me define the blessing for you. The blessing is not monetary finances. The blessing is not a new car or a new house. 
The blessing is this. It's one of confidence. The confidence that you are a true follower of Jesus Christ. You are not just someone who says they're a Christian. You are somebody who acts like a Christian. Somebody who speaks like a Christian. Somebody who thinks like a Christian. You're the real deal. So I was preparing this message several weeks ago, the words of an old Salvation Army chorus by Albert Osborne reverberated in my mind. Some of you have grown up in the church, you'll know this song perhaps. Hear the lyrics. Let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. All his wonderful passion and purity O thou spirit divine, all my nature refine till the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. Friends, the beauty of Jesus is most visible in this world whenever you choose the way of the towel and when you choose to serve people. My prayer is today that you would make that your prayer. Jesus, Let the beauty of Jesus be seen in and through me. Let's pray.